Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. I'm very mindful of these days of remembering, not only remembering as I'm doing now to praise the Lord for the good things that He's done, but also remembering uh, the hard lessons that God has taught us and making sure that we're going uh, forward not only in our confidence in Him, but in the strength of the things that He's taught us. And um, did you know that the most repeated uh, command in the Old Testament uh, is a remember or do not forget when you put those together? Remember this, remember this, remember this, do not forget this, do not forget this, do not, when you put it all together, that's what is in the Bible more than any other single thing, that's the most frequent thing that God says to his people. Don't forget, Uh, remember. All right, all right, so I'm gonna call it how we remember the Lord, how we remember the Lord. And uh, let me just uh, jump in here, Um, just really kind of two main, I don't think that we gave you message notes this weekend, or if we did, there's nothing detailed on it, because I wanted to uh, just have the extra time to be sure what I was going to say. But I'll start here, uh, the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. This is a uh, a very important uh, biblical doctrine, and uh, this was right from the beginning. Acts chapter 2 is when the church started. And by Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says uh, of the early church that they continued steadfastly, or some translations say in in Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to prayer, uh, to the apostles' teaching, uh, or, or I should get it in the right order. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, which is communion or the Lord's table. They devoted themselves. They continued steadfastly. Actually, the word in uh, Acts 2.42 translated continued steadfastly is this idea of a resolute, determined, uh, um, moving forward in one direction. So the early church, which brings us to this day, was moving forward resolutely in this direction. The teaching of the apostles, right? The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Those four things. We're going to start a whole series on prayer next week. I'll talk about that in a moment. But this is one of the central ingredients in the church. Why? Because the Old Testament tells us how important it is to remember. And Jesus gives us a specific way of making sure that the central thing, the main thing, always remains the main thing. And that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his atoning death and victorious resurrection as God's provision for our eternal forgiveness. Now, here they come then, the five truths about the Lord's Supper. Under the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, I'll give you five of them. Number one, look with me at Matthew 26. I just love to have you turn in your Bibles, and I haven't bossed you around for a while. So turn over to Matthew 26, if you would, loved ones. Matthew uh, 26, 26, where interestingly, uh, it says, Now as they were eating... Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. Remember that phrase, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink all, 
drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And with those words, he instituted this thing called the Lord's Supper. So that's the first thing I want you to know. This was instituted by Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of stuff that happens in a church. There's a lot of things that we get to decide together if we're going to do. But this is not optional. Jesus Christ himself said, do this in remembrance of me. So later in the service, when the elements are passed, as you take those elements into your hand, you gotta have a sense in your heart. The living Christ who is present with us by his spirit wants this happening now. Come on, that's awesome, right? To think that Jesus Christ, this is, he wants this. That's why I thought it'd be helpful for us to have some teaching on it. So it was instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it was practiced in the early church. And uh, actually in the early church, it was called um, an agape meal or, or a love feast. And so they would get together, much like we would do in our small groups, and they'd have some fellowship, and they'd, they'd eat a meal together, and then the meal would conclude with the Lord's table and the remembrance through the cup and through the bread. The problem is, is that that led to some significant abuse. And if you read the letters of Paul, especially to Corinth, he's correcting them because these love feasts, these agape meals had become an occasion for gluttony and debauchery and drunkenness. And he was like, man, y'all are getting out of control. I mean, Jesus is awesome, but you're out of control. And that's a problem. So much so that Justin Martyr, an early church father said that by the first century, so by 101 AD, by the end of the first century, um, no longer was the elements, um, and I'll show you a scripture for that in a minute, the elements were not part of a larger festival meal. Uh, just at the worship gathering, they would take the elements on their own. That's the way that the church, uh, and nowhere does the scripture pr uh, prescribe the love feast, it was instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ, it was practiced in the early church, Okay, now I got to get into some controversy. And I, 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 can't, I can't skip this. And I'm not fighting for Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or, or I'm not fighting for any of these groups. You say, well, man, why are there all those groups? Good question. Here's one of the reasons. Because of all of the division over that phrase, this is my body. This is my body. Now, there's a lot of things we can agree to disagree about. Uh, but there is some substantive error on this point. For example, the Roman Catholic Church um, uh, teaches, and I want to be kind and respectful in my words, but I will not apologize for sticking up for what the Word of God clearly says. Someone say amen. amen. The Roman Catholic Church teaches what's called transubstantiation. And that is the idea that the bread and wine actually become, when consecrated by the priest, they actually become the body and the blood of Jesus, so that you are eating his body and you are drinking his blood. Now, I think when we want to say what someone else believes, I think the best way to handle that is to quote uh, them directly. And so uh, this is from Ludwig Ott's uh, book uh, called Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma. All right, so he writes this about his own faith, quote, 
Christ becomes present in the sacrament of the altar by transformation of the whole substance of the bread into his body and the whole substance of the wine into his blood. This transformation is called transubstantiation. Again, that's from Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma, page 379. Um, then he says, also on page 397, quote, the power of consecration resides um, only in a validly consecrated priest. And so the priest is the person who has the wherewithal to uh, consecrate the elements so that they are transformed literally into the body and blood of Jesus. Um, with respect to the actual sacrifice of Christ in the Mass, Ott's textbook says on page 402, the Holy Mass is a true and proper sacrifice. Get this. In the sacrifice of the Mass and in the sacrifice of the cross, the sacrificial gift, the primary sacrificing priest, um, as identical. Only the nature and mode of the offering are different. The sacrificial gift is the body and blood of Christ. Furthermore, uh, they teach um, the purpose of the sacrifice is the same in, the, in, in Christ on the cross and the Mass. Primarily the glorification of God, secondarily atonement. So this is the belief that Christ continues in Roman Catholicism, in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. They believe that the, the sacrifice of Christ, the payment for sin, continues. And it is at that point that, that that's a serious uh, error. And I would simply uh, read from uh, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 25, which says this in regard to Christ's sacrifice. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly, as in that's a problem, since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once, say it, Come on, come on, say it. So that Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Someone say, that's me. Right? That's us. And so this is not a, a continual sacrificing of Christ. And I don't want to be unkind to our friends in that form of uh, that portion of this worldwide thing called Christendom. I just want to be faithful to the word of God and say, that's not just something we can agree to disagree about. And Jesus Christ is not being continually offered for sin. When he uh, hung his head, just prior, he, he declared, Tetelestai, he said, it is finished which actually was a term that was used to be written across a bill that was paid. It means paid in full. Paid in full. This matters immensely. Because your sins and my sins were placed upon Christ on the cross. All people past, present, and future. 
And his sacrifice was complete and the father was pleased and satisfied. So much so that God has given him the name which is above every name. And, and he is now exalted to his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. And the Bible says that he's there making intercession for the saints. And so um, let's understand then that, of course, Lutheranism would be another example. They have constant, uh, consubstantiation, which means that it doesn't become his body and blood, but, he, but he's mystically present there. So... The fourth thing, we, it's instituted by the Lord Jesus. It's practiced in the early church. It's been the subject of much controversy. And here it is. We believe in, an, in a symbolic understanding of the phrase, this is my body. We believe that it's symbolic. Now, symbolic's not a problem, okay? Um, you say, well, I thought you took the Bible literally. I do take it literally. Even the figures of speech, even the symbolic language I take literally. For example, um, when Jesus says, I am the vine, does anyone think that he's a plant with grapes and branches? Does anyone think that? Tell me, do you think that? But, is, but I take the symbol literally. Is he the source of life? Tell me. Yes, he is the source of my life. Yes, he is the source of my strength. And in that sense, I take the symbol and I embrace its literal meaning for me and for us. When Jesus said, I am the door, did he mean I am a eight foot plank with a knob and hinges on? Did he mean that? Tell me, did he? No. But did he mean I'm the way in? You don't come in unless you come by me. I'm the door. Right, and so we understand the figure of speech literally. And in the same way, when Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you, this is my blood, which is shed for you, we take the figure, and he says, take and eat. In fact, at one place he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. So what we understand is, unless we imbibe Christ fully, as the kids were saying, I was only 80%. I was only halfway in, but I, I wanted to be all the way in. And see, we all kind of nod and go, yeah, been there and, and struggle with that myself. And, and we understand the symbolism literally. I hope that's super clear. And so the elements that you're going to get in just a moment, they're not magical. They're not even mystical, but they are spiritual and they do matter. The key is the command to remember. Now, in the few moments that I have remaining, if you could slide with me over to 1 Corinthians 11. I know some of you are going crazy because you're not sure what those five things are. Hands up if you don't know what they are. I know, I know, and you get so bitter and you'll meet me in the lobby. So let's just cover that right now. Love you dearly. I'm so happy to be looking into some of your faces. Uh, it was instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. It was practiced in the early church. It has been the subject of much controversy. We believe in a symbolic understanding of this is my body. And lastly, um, there is a spiritual benefit to participating. Not magical, not mystical, but meaningful and spiritual. Now let's, let's go into the the process of the Lord's Supper. And if you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the last passage I'll ask you to turn to. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, here, uh, many people who are in various denominations and churches who are, they, they, they might not even know about 1 Corinthians 11 because they're not taught the word of God. This is the most extensive teaching in all of the scripture on what this, what this is about. So let's just go through it together and, and uh, let the word of God speak. Amen. So 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, first of all, just four things to conclude now. It's a looking back. When these elements are given to you in a, in a moment, uh, there's to be a, a looking back. For the Jew to remember was far more than just to recall. Listen, it was to relive to remember that he died, to remember how he died, and most importantly, to remember why he died and for whom he died. That's to be happening at the Lord's table, a looking back. Now, some people live their whole lives and they never look back. Someone has said that the... Um, unexamined life is not even worth living. And as a follower of Jesus, you need to be, I hope you are, cultivating the ability to look at yourself and to invite the Holy Spirit to, to search me and try me, O God, and know my heart and see if there is any wicked way in me. And so you're at the Lord's table, we kind of look at how, how I handled that yesterday and what I said on Thursday and, 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 and what I bought on Tuesday and what I'm doing with my life and the decisions that I'm making and the master that I follow and what are his thoughts in this regard. Now, who can do that seriously and not come up short? And so we have this time of reflection and the grace that flows to genuine repentance, but it really matters. We should love looking back. I actually like history personally. I don't like all my history, but I like, you know, thinking about what has happened. How many people like memories and thinking back and what's happened? And, and, and when I was a kid, my dad would stop every, every time he stopped the car. We got to read this plaque. We got to read this plaque. I mean, did you grow up in a house like that? Seems like every family's got one of these guys. You got to read the plaque. And do you know who Billy Sunday was? He was a very successful player for the Chicago White Sox. And then he got saved. I don't mean from the White Sox. Then he got gloriously saved and converted. And he became one of the most powerful preachers in the entire nation. And every summer out in that area, he would have uh, summer tent meetings. And hundreds and hundreds of people gave their lives to Christ. And most of us know nothing about Billy Sunday. Nothing. 
It's okay to forget who your great-grandfather is, I guess. But there are some things that absolutely cannot be forgotten. And if you go back through the centuries, the absolute centerpiece of all that is today flows from that blood-stained cross and that empty tomb. And once a month, maybe twice a month, if we're doing it in our small groups as we're supposed to, we have to come back to this. No matter what's happening, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm seeing, I am a broken, sinful person who was lost and without God and without hope in this world. But Jesus Christ loved me enough and demonstrated his love toward me in this, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Now, that's what's, amen, that's what's going on at the Lord's table. And that's why this is so important. In fact, not just looking back, but looking ahead. Notice verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so it's not the, how do we do this? It's not just the looking back. It's the looking ahead. So much of the biblical message of relationship of covenant centers around meals. Isaac and Abimelech, Jacob and Laban, David and Abner. There's just so many wonderful meals in the scripture. And the symbolism of a meal, something to eat, something to drink, is looking forward to the greatest meal we will ever have. The Bible calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you are through faith in Jesus Christ, a true born-again follower of His, you're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now look, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen this week. I don't even know if there's going to be a this week. But I know this, it's on the calendar and we're all going through faith in Christ. We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? Because I stopped in Matthew 26 before I read this verse. He says this blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then Acts 26, 29. Check this. It's really stood out to me this week. I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Is that awesome? So I know some churches are hung up. It needs to be real wine, not real wine. We are not hung up about that at all. But I would be really hung up if it wasn't. What we're going to drink here doesn't exist without grapes. Okay? And that's the point. It isn't. The, the, gosh, people get so off track. As if fermentation is the point. Someone lift up their voice and say, that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is the fruit of the vine and a savior who's in heaven right now. And when we take and drink this, he's like, I don't do that. I'm not doing that again until we do it together. And we remind ourselves by tasting it. Someday I'm going to do that with Jesus. And he commits, I will not do it until we're together again. And in that sense, the Lord's table is not just a looking back. It's a saying, we're looking ahead. And I've touched on this already, a looking within. 
Whoever, therefore, verse 27, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Remember, worthy means weight. So an unworthy manner would be a way not really feeling the weight of what Christ has done for me. Whoever eats or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That's as serious a warning as in the entire New Testament. Now notice that the position isn't, hey, if you've struggled, hey, if you've stumbled, hey, if you've stupid something, um, then, then don't take communion. That's what Satan does. The Lord does not want any genuine believer to pass on communion. He wants you to repent. That's what he wants. He wants you to take seriously what his body and blood paid for. It's not a, oh, I'll show how serious I am. I mean, remember what I did on Friday. I mean, I can't take this now, so I'll be... No, 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 no. It's, gosh, what a foolish person I was. I'm so sorry for the choice that I made, for the thing that I said, for the place that I went. And, and I'm going to determine afresh with God's help today and in the strength of his forgiveness to live differently going forward. Clear? Because otherwise, I, it's not... I, you know, to partake, it, it's, it's desecrating, it's disrespecting what these symbols represent. When we get miffed because we see somebody on the news burning the American flag. Anybody with me on that? When we get, are you, when we get miffed because we see somebody burning the American flag, does that bug you? Yeah, not because I'm all up, oh, the cloth, the cloth, oh, the stars. No, 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 no. It's what it represents. And in the same way, to take the bread and the cup in my hand and not look into my own heart and not ask God not to humble myself. We could be so self-righteous, we got long lists of what everybody else needs to learn, but the discipline is self-examination. So we look back and we look ahead and we look within. And finally, we look around. I'll just finish reading the passage. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It's very serious. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Who's sick in our church right now? Who's sick in our church? God knows who's sick in our church because of this. When have I been sick because of this? This is as serious as serious gets. God's not going to have us doing this lightly. So then, my brothers, oh, this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, then we would not be judged. Pronounce a verdict on your own behavior and run to Jesus for forgiveness. Amen. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. He disciplines us. He makes us sick even so that the genuineness of our faith might emerge. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So that was kind of the end of the agape meal right there. 
You'd be like, why are these things so small? Because it, it's not about eating. If you're hungry, come on, tell them. Eat at home. No apology for the, for the smallness of the symbol. It's about the reality, not the symbol, right? If anyone's hungry, let them eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. We don't want people crowding the Lord's table because a feast is put before them. And they're doing it because of some physical need. This is a spiritual exercise. Thank you, Lord, for the clear instruction of your word. Thank you, Lord, for making it plain. Let's have the servers come that are ready to serve us now. And let's do everything we just talked about. Let's bow our heads. Let's look back and look ahead and look inside and look around realizing we're part of a church family that wants to do this in a way that honors God's word. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and, and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.